And let us pray. We thank you, O Lord, for your word to us. It's a light for our path. It is food for our soul. May it be so for us this evening. Well, it's great to be able to be our sharing together as two churches. And as we head into this season of Lent, I just wanted to share a few thoughts about the upcoming journey. And I don't just mean the journey into the Book of Romans that many of us are going to embark on. Although, um, let me take the encouragement, to, let me take the opportunity to encourage you to sign up for the Lent course um, or to use the daily Bible readings which are published on the Vines website. So it's not just the journey for those who are doing the roaming through Romans course, but it's the journey into this season. And, and I don't know what perceptions you have of Lent or what it's meant to be like in your expectation. Uh, in my experience, it can come with a bit of a caricature. It's portrayed as a season of pure self-denial, almost of the form of repression, if you like. It might be like a season where it feels like it's about mustering up some strength to lift up the dark, heavy, gooey sack of sin so that somehow perhaps we might catch a glimpse of God's distant goodness. Well, tonight I want to push back at that image. And that's not to say that I then want to head off to the other extreme and say that Lent is all about happy, clappy joy and fun. Rather, at the start of the journey tonight, I want us to take a moment to imagine what depths of reality may lay ahead of us. And to that end, I want to focus on where those of us who will be studying Romans will end up at the end of chapter 8. This is where the journey is going. There's going to be a whole lot of things to explore along the way, deep thoughts some complicated ideas and some pretty plain and simple things that we just have to plod our way through. But by the time we get to the eighth chapter, we will see what Paul is trying to share. And it's something that applies across, the, across this whole season, whether you're studying Romans or not. What we find here in this eighth chapter is a season of, of God's passion, a season in which we can explore and, and, and be explored by the desire of God, the fire of his love for the world and the fire of his love for us. And uh, if you have your Bibles in front of you, turn to verse 22 of Romans 8. It wasn't part of our reading, it was just before. And here we have uh, that passion from God uh, put forward to us with, the, with a sense of groaning. Here is a time, you see, in Lent to be honest about what we are groaning about. I don't mean moaning or whinging or complaining, although in this last year there are certainly plenty of things to complain about. Rather, it's being aware of where we have a feeling deep, deep within us those hidden laments that this world is not as it should be, the travails of this moment that we find ourselves in, and also the weariness of the ongoing inequities in our world, the griefs of getting old and knowing that things will fade away. Within us, you see, is a spark of God's image which longs for the infinite, a white-hot fire with a desire for eternal life that starts now. 
We want a time when the tears will be wiped away and the kingdom of God comes to earth just as it is in heaven. And we want it all the more because we see the tears around us and we've wept them ourselves and so we groan. The eternity in our souls collides with the dereliction of humanity around us and we groan. And we groan because of our hope. We groan because we have an honest understanding of life. And in Romans, Paul puts it this way. In verse 22, he says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in our patience we groan. But here's the thing. God is not aloof from that groaning. It's not like he's standing a long way away, slightly saddened, but ultimately unaffected by our existential crisis. No, we find that our groans and our passions and our yearnings align with his. Paul says this. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Bible often talks about the Spirit waking us up spiritually. Sometimes in this broken world it would be nicer to be asleep. But God has woken us up to show us his heart, to call us to his way, and so we share in his pain, his passion, and his purpose. Jesus has gone ahead of us, and now he calls us to that same path, and so we groan according to his spirit with his heart. I wonder then if you can imagine this season that we're now entering into. Can we imagine it perhaps as a time when we can deliberately stop, pause, and allow ourselves to simply be moved, to be moved by whatever moves him to groan as he groans. And in fact, that's the intent of all those Lenten disciplines that we may enter into over this time, the fasting and the removal of distractions and clutter and sensual things like chocolate and food, and the additions of things like Bible reading and prayer. The point of them is to make some space, some time, when we dare to be moved by God's heart and dwell in that groaning, to hear again the heartbeat of his spirit in the truth of his word. You may know that the origins of Lent lie in the early church, where new believers after some years of preparation and teaching and discipleship, came to the moment where they would be baptised on Easter Day. 
the community would join in with them on the final leg of the journey and arrive at the joy of Easter together. And the closest analogy I can find for this is the joy of Easter being like a wedding. And in fact, the, the cross and the empty tomb have often been conceived of as a place of union between Christ and his church, of Jesus laying down his life, giving his body for the people he loves. And it makes me remember the time leading up to my own wedding where Jill and I got married in 1995. In that few months leading up to the wedding, it's not the same as a nervous courtship. And it's not the same as the honeymoon that comes after the wedding. But it's a time for learning about and reinforcing one another's passions and purposes. It's a season for sitting on a couch or going for a walk and having long conversations about dreams and possibilities. In those weeks and months before our wedding, I learned about what moved my wife, my wife-to-be, what bothered her, what made her angry, what made her weep. And she learned the same about me. We learned about each other's groans about life and it connected us at the point of vocation and calling. And that season deepened and strengthened our love. Now I might be making it sound more idyllic and perfect than it was. I was still a young fool and I was head over heels in love, but you get the picture. For we, his people, his church, his bride, this is that season. A time to lean into the passion of Jesus, to dwell there, to hear his groans, to be moved by his calling. It's a season to know and line up with the passion and purpose of Jesus, our Saviour. And so we will clear our schedule we will take out or add in whatever is needed to make time for him. And for those of us who are joining us in this roaming through Romans, that's the point of it. We'll be wading through some theology and some doctrine, but the point of it all is to know the passion and heart of God. And even if you're not joining in the course, or even if you're just reading the readings or whatever it may be, it's a similar season for you. Simply find time to sit, read his word, pray. Lord, show me your heart. And here's the thing. To dwell upon the groans of this world can be scary. To contemplate the deep injuries of this world can be traumatic. But to do it with the spirit of God brings hope and life along with the groans. Paul contemplates these things and this is where he finishes it. To groan with the Spirit is to allow a hope-filled exposure to the pains of this world, including the pains in ourselves. But if we groan with his Spirit, what then can we say? Paul says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things, all that we need in this season of groaning? He will give us forgiveness and justification and a resurrection to eternal life. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or, or all those things that we groan about? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray just quickly. Lord, we are your church, your bride and your people. In these next few weeks, wherever we are, we ask you, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us to groan without fear. Help us to feel without worry. Help us to know your heart, to be moved by you, long for you, yearn for what you yearn for and desire what you desire. Fill our moments of this season at work, at home, and when we are quiet, with the thuds of your heartbeat, the fire of your invigoration, and the whispers of your spirit. Teach us your word. Make us your own. You can have all that you want of us. Amen and amen.